Have you ever read a good book that you want to share with your friends? Well, that's what we do here. Welcome to the Bruz Bookshelf, where we let the content of the book drive the conversation. With your hosts, Lennon Givens, Dr. Harvey Hitton III, Donovan Snipe, and my wife, Dr. Teresa Smith Givens. Enjoy. Remember, if you like the podcast, click subscribe, share with your friends, and give us a five-star rating. Gucci Mane began writing his remarkable autobiography in a maximum state prison. Released 2016, he emerged radically transformed. He was sober, smiling, focused, and positive, a far cry from the Gucci Mane of years past. Now the legend takes us to his roots in Alabama, the streets of East Atlanta, the Trap House, the studio where he found his voice as a peerless rapper. He reflects on his inimitable career and the process confronts his dark past. Years behind bars, the murder charge, addiction, career highs and lows, the making of Trap God. It is one of the greatest comeback stories in the history of music. The autobiography of Gucci Mane is an instant classic. So I selected this book because I wanted to discuss someone who I believe is current in the hip-hop culture and someone who the young people respect. Also, it's a true story of redemption, overcoming, being trapped in the streets, uh, going into being someone that's an inspiration and a true example of turning your life around. I like Gucci Mane. I like his story, and I enjoyed the book. I think it was a cool book. It was an interesting story. It gave me some insight into kind of like his whole upbringing and how he became Gucci Mane and his whole persona. I don't think I would. I thought I knew his story like like I did. Uh, well, I didn't. I guess I should say. But yeah, I, th- I think it was cool. Harvey, what you think? Um, I think in terms of like um giving me more insight on the artist and sharing his story. Um, I thought that was cool. <laughs> I kind of feel sorry for the guy in a weird way. I'm, I'm going to be looking more to talk about that. kind of feel sorry for Gucci a little bit. Um, I love Gucci as an artist. I've been rocking with Gucci uh, as long as I can remember, as long as, you know, with 2006 maybe. Um, I remember, yeah, so I, I, I fooled Gucci hard as an artist. So, hmm. I find myself thinking that the book was a good read. It was entertaining. Um, yeah, it was an entertaining book. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, like I said, I enjoyed the book. I, I love the backstory, the come up, the explanation of the why. Um, I do believe that, uh, like Harvey said, he's somebody that I don't think I feel sorry for him, but he is definitely somebody that deals with uh, PTSD and that went untreated. You know, he had a lot of traumatic events in his life from early on leading up to his uh, long stint in prison. Doug, I remember like, um, there's a lot to talk about with Gucci's story. I I just remember 
being about 18, 19 years old, and my mother and I talking about addiction and addiction in my family. You know, I was I was a freshman in, in college, and I had told her that I've been smoking weed, and I've been drinking, and all that kind of stuff. And you know, she's like, you know, I understand. I'm disappointed because I thought, you know, whatever, whatever. You was an athlete, blah blah blah. But I, ain't tr- she, she wasn't like, I'm, I'm mad at you, disappointed. But you know, but she's like, uh, you need to be aware that you know, addiction is strong both sides of your family. And I think about how Gucci and his mom fell out. And that time period in his life where I felt like a lot of young people think that between 18 and 24, a lot of people, period, think 18 and 24, young people need to be left alone. But I I think totally different, man. I think that's the time they need more guidance. And that's the time when he was most left alone. And that's when the most shit happened to him. You think that they fell out or she had to put him out? I mean, he told his version of the story, you know. Um, He don't come from... He was was too far gone, man. I think that by the time, uh, after he graduated high school and she gave him that ultimatum on either going to school, getting a job, or um, it was something else he had to do. And and he he enrolled in school... And, think, and he got caught selling drugs, so he had to go. I think. I think that's. I mean, I get that part. I mean, I but think, I don't um, think that's a falling out with your parents. Well, again, I, I think it's. You know, I had a mother and father that provided that that type of balance, and I was never. I had those same rules, but I never put myself in the situations that Gucci was in to have to be faced with those consequences. But the rules were there. But in his case. You know, dealing with the situation of his father and his grandfather. I mean, that drug abuse thing around the black man, uh, inability to be who he wants to be in a particular society, whatever demon that's being fought, you know, he, he certainly inherited that. He did inherit some demons, but there was also uh, some demons that was influenced by his environment. I also believe that there were a lot of things that are not really related. Um, I'm kind of trying to string together what you and Lenny are saying, Harvey, about this story. And I'm still trying to pull them together. I don't know if I would say PTSD for him. I know you said that before, Lennon, but... I mean, we all have traumas and some of us deal with them in ways that are not healthy, but I don't necessarily think his was as much PTSD as it was some other mental illnesses that were um, at play. Some of them that he came up with intrinsically, inherently, but also um, some that came about through his drug use. Before the drug use and before the lean and the episode with the lean, we have to realize that uh, the the man, the only man that he really loved in his life, besides his daddy, that he spent a lot of time with, was Walter Senior, his granddad. He passed away, and he witnessed his family fall apart. His aunt 
uh, tried to burn down the house while they were in there. His mother mm-hmm. moved him to a different state to live with a man who got back with his ex-wife and his ex-wife moved in the house and they had to be homeless. His daddy coming back in the picture, they living in a hotel. Um, his dad is on drugs, a con artist. He's a child going through this. And then he gets robbed. And you remember how he talks about when he got robbed? Although he was selling drugs when he got robbed and he got robbed for drugs, he was still a child. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's a lot of things that he was dealing with that shaped him. It is a lot of things that he was dealing with, but just because you're dealing with things doesn't make you have PTSD. And you kind of need a catalyst um, and that's a lot of stuff back to back. I don't know. I just don't think that PTSD is one of the things that I would figure. I, I mean, a lot of it is conditioning. You know, there yes, there were bad things, but for it, there has to be some type of trigger when you're talking about PTSD like that. And a lot of the things that you just mentioned were things that he like the robbing you and I know you said well even though he was selling drugs but those are things that you expect that's a hazard of the job that's not something shit, that that's a 14 year old kid with a gun to his head I don't know that he signed up for that shit um I you think 14, that he did sign up for like when he was just fucking around he, 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 he I mean you I mean, know I what the game was about come on come on, man. Come on. Yeah, everybody say that but just because you're selling people. dope, it doesn't make you an adult. Yeah. No, it doesn't. It does but not. if no, you're robbing that, someone, but... you can expect to get robbed. I mean, I yeah. think that's he a... hadn't robbed somebody then. But he was carrying a gun. And look, I'm going no, back to what Harvey said just robbed. a second ago. And that is he is the author of the book. I'm not going to expect him to divulge every piece of information. And it's also told from his perspective. And we're also talking about someone who is giving an account after everything that they've been through. And he got to sell some records. I I am just going to take it all with a grain of salt. You know, even though this is his book, he was really honest. And, uh, it seems and, that and way. He was honest about the things that you know that you should be ashamed of. You know, he expressed that he was ashamed of it. Like what? He Give me one. Robbed his friend. Beat up uh, uh, yeah. BP. But guess what? Mm-hmm. When that's your reality, sometimes you're not ashamed of it. But he was. He expressed that he was ashamed. Of it. He no, he didn't that. say he was ashamed. He said, "Why did I do that?" There are some things that I'm like, "Oh, why did I do that?" I'm not ashamed of it, but I'm like, eh, "I shouldn't have done that." <laughs> I, you know, hey, I think that um, this is jumping fast forward too. I think solitary confinement, right? The, the amount of time he talks about being in the hole, that's gotta that's gotta do something to you, man. You know, hey Harvey, before he went into the hole, though, I mean, he did a lot of shady shit before he got there. He mm-hmm. not only did he rob his friend, he. He robbed his homeboy's nephew for thirty thousand dollars and went on a run because he found out that they had a hit out on him, and they was about to go shoot up his mother's house. Yeah, but yeah. his homeboy mm-hmm. saw that he was talented and took a liking in him so much that he paid his ransom. 
He paid his debt so he can come home and record. But dog, that ain't the same as going in the hole. Mm-mm. No, it's, it's definitely it's definitely the precursor going to be locked up. No, I'm not talking about that. Yeah, but going in the hole. I think for anyone, I mean, we've uh, we've stated on so many recordings that humans are not designed to be by themselves. So um, when you are, your mind starts to deteriorate and it will make you believe things that are not necessarily true. He was aware of that. He understood that. But there are some fundamental things that he was not aware of. And that is a lot of his problems were his own making. Absolutely. Street life. A lot of his problems were his own making. It's like he couldn't get right in a lot of instances. Like he just like he would go in front of the judge and like, well, I mean, and although he kind of explained, I'm doing this because of X, Y, Z. It's I don't know. It was some points. It just seemed like there was a disconnect. Like mm-hmm. he just had to get locked up eventually. He had a lot of insecurities that he was dealing with. He mentioned about his he was country and his uh his his southern accent, even although Atlanta is still southern, but he talked about his country vernacular. He was insecure about him being quote unquote ugly, although now that he's out of prison, he always talked about he's handsome, but he was dealing with that. He had to prove himself because he moved to Atlanta when he was nine years old. So he was dealing with a lot of insecurities and a lot of instability with his mom, a lot of instability with his dad. His dad hit his mom with a vacuum cleaner and had to go to jail in front of him. That was a traumatic event. So he, he, you have to think about it. That man it was, routinely it was saw very somebody little bring home adult supervision going on. Intoxicated. You know? Yes, he started selling drugs at in the seventh grade. So he had to be like 12 years old only because his mama didn't have the Christmas that he envisioned him having. She gave him $50. He thought he was going to get some Jordans. And he took that $50 and the rest was history. He is very industrious. I will give him that. It's like he always finds a way to, to kind of flip a situation around no matter how crazy it is. Um I thought that was pretty dope. He he made me realize how naive I've been at times because I've worked all summer long <laughs> and didn't get my $50. <laughs> and you were fine with that. It was happening in my Yeah, you were fine with that. So I, I tried really hard. <laughs> I ain't never had no Jordans before. You know what I'm saying? Like this idea of like, I can't get my Jordans. Like I've never had a pair of Jordans. And I've been just fine in life, you know? It is what it is. Yeah, I, but I I, I try because I know Lenny will look at me and then he'll start to call me names and then I have to get upset and then we argue. But I just don't feel like it takes all that. It You don't have to go sell dope because you want Jordans. It's okay. Listen, people sell dope to get Jordans because they are making up for what they're lacking. They're filling a void. That's like rappers get gold chains. People really care about what other people feel about them. But that's deep inside an insecurity. I understand. But that, as an educator, makes me sad. 
And I'm using the word sad and okay, Teresa, really funny. you wasn't an educator when you was twelve. You wasn't no, an educator. I wasn't. But you my know, mother when everybody was. when everybody around you was getting something and you couldn't get that, that made you feel left out. No, it did not. It made me want to work hard to get what I wanted for later. And I also looked at a lot of things around me and I had a lot of pressure on me when I was in the second, third, fourth grade because I was probably the only black kid around in my class. But it didn't make me want to do those things. And I'm not trying to compare myself. I just kind of don't want to hear any excuses about bad behavior (laughs) making you a fortune. Well, it's it's hard for me to really speak on that because when I wanted something, I was able to get it. You know, uh, I, I I didn't well, go I without. When Nintendo's first came out, I had a Nintendo with the pad. I didn't. I can't imagine living around people, a whole bunch of insecure people just like me, and everybody's getting something and I don't get it. And I'm always the center of attention when it comes to jokes but or so whatever. You- think that everybody in the projects had some Jordans? <laughs> no. Okay. They better not have Jordans. He wasn't alone. He wasn't alone. He compared himself to to have all of this low self-esteem with. Like, isn't everybody poor? Like, don't we all have dirty shoes? I know, right? Uh, you go to the oh. projects and everybody walking around with Jordans on, bro. That's going to make you feel some <laughs> kind of way. I promise you. I mean, but even there, I think that we're kind of getting out of it a little bit, but I just kind of didn't like where that line was going. And it's just well, weird, you know. The, 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 I get it. I mean, we, we, I won't, I don't know, man. I, I, just because I ain't know. had nothing, I mean, I didn't want nothing. <laughs> no, no, no. Last week, it was Harvey and it, being very sympathetic with Asada. Now it's Lenny being very sympathetic with Gucci Mane. Because I'm a fan. <laughs> All right. Well, I told you, I felt, I felt sorry for the guy, man. I, I mean, I felt, and then like, you remember? I know y'all see everybody seen the verses, right? Everybody seen the verses with him and mm-hmm. Jesus. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, damn, it, it, made it made more sense. Like, he been holding that in all this time. Mm-hmm. Like, man, you know what? Let's speak on that. He been holding that in all this time. All right, Teresa made a good point. The book. Gucci wrote the book, so he's telling it from his point of view, his lens. I got no space to be fact-checking on Gucci. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever the fuck he wrote, that's what it is, right? That's, that's, that's the story. Yeah, that's the story. <laughs> that's the story, okay? Let's put hey. that out there first. It's fact. It ain't no fiction. It's With fact. that being said, though, All right. with that being said, what I was reading in between the lines is that young Jeezy comes off as a B-A-N. And I was like, yo, I like his music. But then I started like thinking about it. Everybody that comes into contact with Jeezy or starts off with Jeezy team leaves Jeezy and be like, that dude is a B-A-N. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? Gucci probably was on to something real early. Because I think you ever heard of Freddie Gibbs? Yeah. Yeah, Jeezy. Like he really, really hates Jeezy. And some of the things that Gucci was saying about Jeezy, I was like, damn, that nigga ain't built right. 
But anyway, you know, just to speak of Jeezy. But then I went back and I listened to that damn Jeezy this song against Gucci, and I was like, boy, that bitch was hard. He he, he definitely did. sound like he had got his feelings hurt. Yes, because I, here's, here's another thing. It sounds like a paradox. Because on one hand, we saying Jeezy is, uh, I mean, Gucci Mane is a bad person. He robs his friends, right? But Gucci, this is this is what I got out of the story. Gucci grew up in a loving environment, a family environment, you know, where family, everybody want to see each other win. When he came to Atlanta, he kind of hardened and he turned. And he really turned when he got hooked up with the wrong crowd, the zone six click but deep down inside i think gucci is a genuine person hmm. and the reason why i say that because he didn't see he didn't he wasn't he was not able to see it coming from jeezy when jeezy crossed him and it really hurt him and i think that a lot of that um grudge and that stuff that you mentioned, Harvey, that he was holding inside, it, it came from hurt. Like, damn, dog, I thought we was going to be, you know, whatever. You know, it wasn't big to me. But then you sent somebody to try to kill me. The ultimate disrespect. Not only did he didn't kill me, but he caused me a huge inconvenience. A huge inconvenience. I guess that's um, an understatement. Yeah, it's an understatement. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh. Again, these rose-colored glasses are killing me. Um, I'm starting to feel my age, and I am also feeling my gender right now and feeling a little bit out of place on this book because I don't see any of that. Um, I just feel like he was... He inherited his father's characteristics. I mean, you couldn't get away from the DNA with that, and that's it. I... I don't Hold know on. When why you say you... his father's characteristics speak on that. Well, just the fact that his father was a hustler and his father did people dirty constantly. He was a con artist. Consistently. Yeah. And <laughs> even without the direct influence of his father being cuz he didn't even grow up with him in the beginning, he just got it naturally and that is a part of who he was. And as he grew, he would exhibit those behaviors. Other people saw it in him. He saw it in himself. And then when his father came to live with them, or actually when they got in the predicament that they were in and their dad and mom got back together, it got worse. And that was just, I guess, what I say all the time about a, a father influence can be negative and I you know I've heard you say well any fatherly influence is good and I've always said that it is not and in this case he had it regardless but it just amplified when his father came back into the picture so I'm not so sure about those characteristics and how that would have played out um if he never got to be famous then I think that that would have been you know, to his detriment, but lucky for him, he got the breaks. Hmm. That man said he made some of his best music on that lean, though. Then he said he made some of his best music sober. 
Yeah, turn around and say his best music was sober. Exactly. It just kind of de- depends on where you're at in your life. Where the energy putting you. Right, because um, he also enjoyed that recording that he did in Vegas. He said that was one of the best recording sessions he had ever had because he was in the moment. I mean, he. it's funny how he tries to separate the artist from the street guy from the the con artist, right? And how he thought when it comes to business with the rap game, as an artist in the rap game, and as a mogul in the rap game, everyone is to be treated fair and solid as they were. But in the streets, not so much. Mm-hmm. And not it, in the rap either. He was cheating people in the rap game too. Like I'm a rap on your song, but no, nah, I'm not gonna do that. I don't like your song. Like hold he was on. kind of people what, there what are you too. Talking about Don. Yeah, Remember when that. he was when he was supposed to do a song with um oh gosh, I don't remember the name of the guys, but like he basically told him like I'm not gonna be in the song, that's just for Zaytoven's beat. When he was actually supposed to rap and Zaytoven was supposed to give him a thing. Right. You don't remember that? Yeah. And then he skipped out on them because they were supposed to go to the Blue Flame and exactly. talk it out. And exactly. And they, they went to two different strip clubs all together. Mm-hmm. He's a con artist. Like, I mean, he's a he's a good guy. He's a he's an endearing personality, but he is also mm-hmm. like a shifty character. Like mm-hmm. and not yeah. so smart sometimes too, because I guess they forgot they knew where they lived. So right. yeah. you kind of cross someone, but they know where you live. That doesn't make any sense. He just a knucklehead from time to time. With all of this being said about him, how he became the black sheep of his family, and all of this, don't y'all like how he turned his life around? And sometimes, don't you think prison for people is like the best thing for them? Now, I don't think that you should go to prison for a long period of time. It depends on what you did. But those three years was like the best thing that ever happened to him. It helped him purge himself of these drugs that lean. He was walking down the street talking to himself and he kept, he stayed on it. He probably would have been dead by now if it had not been for that prison stint. I mean, I hate to give that kind of space, that kind of credit. I mean, I, I, I understand, I think, what you're suggesting. I'm not hating on a brother. I don't know if he turned his life around. I don't know what that really means sometimes. I do see where you're coming from, but I just, I hate to get that kind of credit, that space, that kind of credit, man. No, I understand what you're saying, Harvey. I think what Lenny's kind of coming from is that anytime somebody gets, like, the actual help that you need or kind of, like, isolation that you need, which prison can offer... I mean, you can get these in other settings too, but prison definitely offers that uh, that detox time, that time to sit down and reflect. So exactly. I remember one time at a um, at a recovery ceremony, uh, one of the counselors said, "Our program is not for people who need it; it's for people who want it." Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a realization that it's up to the individual to say when they've had enough. And did it take two strikes for him to say, okay, third strike, I know what's going to happen next. 
is that the breaking point? <laughs> I don't, you know, I think when you put most people in that situation, that okay, I, okay, I had enough. <laughs> okay, no, no one wants that to go away forever. But do you change? Do you get it? Do you become a better person? All that. I mean, I, I think all that's still to be debatable. I, I don't also know if that's think a, that when we, I guess I'm trying to listen to exactly what the question was or the statement, and you're saying. Isn't it great that he turned his life around? Yeah, I ain't saying turned his life around. But I guess when I look right. at it, I'm going, okay, do we know that he turned his life around? Mm-hmm. Um, or I guess at the end of the book, which was, but it was right after that at the end of the book. So we don't really know anything past that. And also, all we see is that he's not doing drugs anymore. So is that turning his life around? Just not doing like I celebrate that he was doing. I celebrate that sobriety. If that's what you know, I celebrate that. I'm not gonna downplay it, but to your point, I don't know if that's turning your life around. Oh, well, we we haven't heard since Gucci Mane been out of jail any any episodes of Gucci Mane doing something like what he used to do. You know, he he's got married. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Some of what he wife. used to do wasn't what he used to do. He was innocent a lot of times. Remember, like, like I remember no, the time. Wasn't. I remember the time with uh, the situation with him throwing the the situation with him and his sister in the mall, and him throwing you know the girl out the truck. And I remember when that happened. I'm like, well, when it happened in real life, me the fan reading it on World Star or whatever I'm looking at, going like, damn Gucci, you done screwed up again, bro. Why you throw the girl out the truck? Then in his story. You know, have you ever been in that situation when you had a chick that wouldn't get out the truck? Yeah, but that's not the only situation that he was in. You know, he thought his mechanic, he, he thought his mechanic stole from him and he went over there and beat the mechanic up in front of the police. That was different. Me, but that was Cocaine's also a, a part drug, of his yeah. addiction. Yes, Cocaine's that was a part of his drug, drug addiction um, <laughs> brought on by the paranoia of uh, the drugs. So, Okay, so let's see what sober Gucci Mane does. But also, you know, is Gucci Mane in the limelight like he was? And that's why, again, I'm going, okay, my age. Because that was the one thing that I thought was funny about the book. While I was reading it, I couldn't get my timeline right. I kept saying, what year was this? And I also, I have to tell a joke, which y'all probably won't think is funny. But I told Lenny... I really can't, in that span of life for me, I couldn't tell you the difference between Young Jeezy, Gucci Mane, and Young Jock. I just, they all seem like the same person to me. No, that's real talk. Because think of, in real life, you was a senior (laughs) when they was freshmen. Or you was a senior when they was in the eighth grade. You wouldn't have gave a fuck about these dudes. She's talking about when... Young Jock came out. I get it, but I'm still track. saying that. That's what they, I that's, said, you're right. I, they it, all came out the same year. But yeah. even with that, it just seems like when I see one of them, I don't know which one is which. It's like the same. Now, the picture that I have, of course, of Gucci Mane is the new Gucci Mane with the new teeth and the new skinny. And the, I mean, because that's Man, what's to, been playing. I had to defend Gucci to my boys, yo. Like I had to, we had to defend Lil John to the crew. We had to defend Master P. Like we East Coast hip hop rappers, yo. We don't want to hit his shit. 
and like had to like convince people that this shit was hot. When people was not trying to hear his Gucci shit. Then all of a sudden, <laughs> they gave up. <laughs> but that, that was a good time. I mean, that, it was it was fun music. I know. It, yeah, it was it was fun music. So any of the rappers who are want to be conscious or they want to talk about serious stuff, they're not gonna want to listen to this. This is straight fun music. Yeah, this is what you know when they started listening to this when everybody started going back to the gym. That's when this shit made sense to people. When they was they started working out. I mean, obviously, the strip club had his own space yeah. and did his thing. But like the when they High the, they started wanting to work out and shit, that that's when Gucci made sense to them. So uh-huh. my Gucci Mane story. Uh oh. <laughs> I bought I bought the first Gucci Mane album that okay. uh, that uh, um. Well, go ahead, go ahead, baby girl, go ahead. <laughs> Shout it, got ass on her. Hard. Yeah, I'm going my hands on her. I'm going to spend a couple grand on her. But anyway, then he ended up going to jail for shooting somebody. Uh-huh. And when he got out, I ain't really hear much of him. I, I, he had that uh, Fresh Out of Jail, that Radrick Davis album. It was okay. She. But then, that album was fire. What are you talking about? It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hold on. But then, now you gaslighting. Hey, check this out. But I wasn't. Gucci. 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 So that's that's the response I got, right? So I was in the Midwest, I was in Ohio. Mm. And um and I wasn't really on to dap pip with the mixtapes. Yeah. So the mixtape started taking off, right? And you know, somebody didn't introduce me to that. And then this this dude from Canton, Ohio, one of the bros named Mike, Mike Kersey, he was like, bro, all I listen to is Gucci. And I said, so icy, Gucci? So icy? Atlanta, he was like, yeah. He said, nigga, Gucci, run things up here. And I was like, are you serious? And then he, I was like, how you listen to Gucci? He was like, man, he got mixtape after mixtape. So I started listening to his mixtapes. And I was like, damn, Gucci been working. Right. Think about it. Fast forward to 2021. Mm. When we think of music today and how music, like with the internet and how everybody sounds the same, all the music that we listen to right now today got a Gucci stamp on it. What? Yeah. Uh, Everybody sounds like the Migos with all those ad libs. That's Gucci, man. Young Thug, uh, what's that boy that uh, that sounds just like Young Thug? Gunna, you know, all, all of them. If everybody yeah, that's coming crazy. out, Poo, all, uh, Poo my, all my, all my children, no. <laughs> all of these rappers is all of my children. <laughs> no, if if that was a, a Mount Rushmore, Atlanta Mount Rushmore, 
Gucci he, has to be up. He jumped on that some kind of way, huh? No, he, okay. The whole outcast get him off. He just jumped on there. The whole, no. the whole Luda, the whole ludicrous, the whole. Nope. Yep, yep. See, he, he just, he, see, that's he what makes Luda it Luda difficult. Luda. That's what makes it difficult. You no, know? It, my Mount Rushmore of Atlanta is JD. He's uh, a rapper. Wait, go ahead, go ahead. It's your wall. It's your mountain, dog. Go ahead, in the Ferrari, the Jaguar, switching four lanes at the top. Yeah, Come on, man. He, All right, bro. All right, bro. All right, bro. It's your wall, bro. It's your mountain. JD, <laughs> I'm going to say uh, Outkast. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say Little John. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to say Gucci Mane. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the Atlanta Mount Rushmore. Mm-hmm. Period. I thought CeeLo Green was your favorite person. I'm talking about the Mount Rushmore. But Goody Mob doesn't go on there? Then who you going to take off? JD. No, because <laughs> if it wasn't for JD. At night, I think of you. But then you need a whole nother Mount Rushmore for producers. Slash... Right. Heads of I'm talking labels. about the people that influence Atlanta's music. Okay. If it wasn't for them, okay, it wouldn't be Atlanta music. <sighs> yeah, but anyway, I that was a, that was a that was an interesting time period in our lives. I think for I think to Teresa's point, I mean, I'm just assuming you know that was grad school. Um, a lot of people had you know was trying to be adult, beginning this what they call now adulting thing. And like I said, Gucci was like a some a spark plug in a lot of people's lives, man. You know, people who I was around. But to hear his story, um, I do like to hear how, like, even with his name, I love to hear how the the artist is connected to real life. So to hear that that's his grandfather's name, you know, that's that's pretty dope. You know, um, or to hear how the life experience did influence the rhymes. That's pretty dope. That makes it authentic hip-hop. Harvey, for the listeners, tell tell them how the, the grandfather came up with that. He was fly. No. He was fly. He, you know, I, I hope I'm not mixing these stories up, but he, from what I understand, he was in the he, war. and He, he went to the war. He went to Italy. Yeah. And, and so he fell like, in love with the Gucci brand. Yeah. So, like, there's a whole genre, I mean, a whole generation of men black men and African men who in the war was exposed to this high fashion and they brought that shit back. You know, they brought it back to Chicago. They brought it back to New York. They brought it back to Memphis. They brought it back to Detroit. Detroit. Um, and they brought it back to um, different places in Africa. They brought it back. Well, you know, the motherfuckers We're talking about world, world War Two. Right. Right. I forget the name of these brothers in there. I forget their names, man, but they were uh, these... The Congo Dandies? Exactly. See? Yeah. <laughs> the Congo Dandies. Like, yeah. dirt road-ass Africa, bro. Like, the bush. These motherfuckers mm-hmm. is walking through there with them Gucci suits on. So, like, that's real shit. Tailored suits, gator shoes, stepping mm-hmm. and striding. And so he's coming from that tradition of watching them kind of men do that shit, but he also watching the man falling in ditches every week drunk. And so that's the the fucked up part about that era. I, I remember men, I remember those men. 
You know, you remember the time period? Those men smoked pipes and shit. You it know was what? nothing mm-hmm. uncommon to see a man in that era with a pipe. I wanted, I wanted to uh, pause on that, and we was talking about the things, the things that he's seen growing up in his environment. When you mentioned falling in the ditches drunk. The very man that he loved the most, Walt Sr., his granddaddy, he would come home drunk. They would have to get him up, or sometimes he would go on drinking binges with his girlfriend and be gone for the whole weekend just getting drunk. So the person that you look up to, your your hero is a drunk. And we wonder why that, you know, drugs, say no to drugs wasn't something that was a deeply embedded in his brain. When he first did lean, he wasn't like, I'm not about to do that. I don't know what that is. You know, mm-hmm. hey, man, come drink some of this grit. Okay. <laughs> but don't we, don't we have that in our family, though? Functioning people? Harvey. It ain't cool, but I'm just saying that. Harvey, don't put him on an out. island. Check this out. What type of person are you when you do a drug, it causes you to go temporary insane where you got to get checked into the hospital because you you have lost your mind. That's these new kids. That's what they all do. The new Not kids only the these new kids, kids, that's crack. It's an I mean, addict, man. That's all. <laughs> um, I don't know. Sometimes, I guess when we're talking, I'm going, what are you, what's going on here? That's normal uh, for this society. Hmm. What do you mean? Just that's all the time. Saying. Why are you acting like that's not commonplace? Where you have to get checked into the hospital because you're temporary. That's insane. good. That's good that you got checked in. Motherfuckers just keep living. That's true. I mean, <laughs> we are we are living in a time where being drunk on the corner, being a functioning alcoholic is the norm for a lot of children's parents. Yeah. Um, that's what people are doing to survive in this culture, you know. And again, we'll get off on something else. There was altogether. a respect where but you could just... think about it. You could be drunk and pass out, and someone would take you home, as yeah. opposed to being drunk and passing out and motherfuckers running your pockets and pissing on you and shit. <laughs> That's a whole. But they had enough respect for you to clean you up and take you home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's a whole time period and a whole culture. I. I think that my family is pretty diverse, but it's plenty of people in my family that would be drunk. I mean, the family reunion gets that's all it was, at a certain drunk time. Ass aunt, my, drunk uncles. I love them dudes, but that's what it was. That, that, but right, that's where that term comes from. Your drunk uncle, your drunk auntie, because that's a thing in our community. You know, there are plenty grandfathers who drunk themselves. I mean, cirrhosis of the liver is a thing. (laughs) The amount of trouble that he was getting into before his final lockup, I believe that the judge and the police department had grace and mercy with him to not lock him up for a long time sooner. I believe that. And, uh, and I think, and that speaks to the perks of living in Atlanta okay. and being around police officers who mm-hmm. look like you, who know what you do. The judge, kids listen to his music and just being around your your type of people that keep giving you chance and not 
the first thing just want to throw you away in the career way. Because if you think skeptical. about it, he got into a lot of trouble a lot of times. That's true. But he and, was and also he a star at this time. He wouldn't be, we wouldn't be talking about it. But right he now. was a celebrity at the time. And I think that he was given credit for that on so many occasions. And he said that the last time he told him, you know, you are, I hear from my grandchildren that you are, you know, this great person, you know, you should take your talents and do something with them. So I believe that they saw that he could have a better future if he could get his life together. But um, I'm not, I'm a little skeptical about the implication that you have, but he was getting in a lot of trouble. Um, like me and Donovan just said, a lot of it was his own doing, but that last arrest, the police officer was being very nice to him. Mm. And that arrest kind of went with no incident because guess what? And what we've been talking about, if he had been anybody else, he could have been dead because he clearly had a firearm in his pocket. They saw that. But instead, they called the medical uh, field to come in and respond to that. And they gave him a sedative to work with that. But they also knew that he had some mental issues going into that. And the phone call that they got was more of a well-being call. And they did take the proper steps to handle the situation. Suspect Uh, has ice cream come on his face. (laughs) Right. Right. Says Burr. (laughs) Right. I was watching an interview that the interview that he did with Charlemagne and Gucci said that he was going up the street to go kill somebody because he found out by watching the video, he found who had robbed his studio and he called them because the guys used to be up at his studio and they was talking to him sideways. And he said, you know what? We're, I'm about to come and see you. So he grabbed his gun and he started walking up the street to go meet the guys because the guys lived in the neighborhood. He said those guys called were the ones that called the police on him. He said because had not the police came that day, he was going to kill somebody. He said that either he was going to get killed that night or he was going to kill somebody. And the police saved his life. The St. Lil Wayne life. That's why po- that's why Lil Wayne think God's a white man. Because the white cop saved him. <laughs> that was no, before Lil Wayne was Lil Wayne. Wayne. Little Lil Wayne. <laughs> and that's why he thinks the police uh, yeah. God God is the police man. The white man saved him. I mean, it is, it's, it's interesting though. Mm-hmm. To, I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to throw shade on Gucci. Don't, I don't. I don't want to do that. But I mean, it's interesting how the Hellraisers keep getting the pass, and it make you wonder. You know, um, the agenda <laughs> sometimes, right? And 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 exactly. You know, like, and and I does the right, And does like the uh, is it the economic impact of having him incarcerated versus? Being on the streets, like you know, the judge ain't stupid. 
you know, it, it, what's really going on here. If he's locked up, all these people are going to be financially impacted versus if he's making music, this is what's happening. That's what he's talking about. So there ain't no, you're going to use your influence for shit. You party, party, party. Like, you, you made that song, Jack. You're not coming back from that. You know, you're stuck in that lane. And that's going to be hard. I think that's the hard part is that his sobriety mm -hmm. and the music that he's made, you know, um, that's going to be the hard part as he evolves into a man. I think Snoop Dogg has dealt with that publicly. And, you know, he he does more media personalities now than actually music to kind of separate himself from some of that bullshit because he knows he just he just can't do the music no more. It's too gangster. That's the, You know what I'm saying? So Gucci, he's going to have to deal with that. You know, right. I I think Gucci has done a great job in A and R and transitioning yeah. to the mogul and, side of it. And I didn't know that. So and that that, that that def, the book definitely put me put me on game to that. I'm, how much he really influenced the game, and that was his. That's what he wanted to be from the beginning, anyway. So right, he does have an ear for talent. Yeah, because I don't be hearing that shit. I was like, what the fuck is this nigga? Who told him this shit was good? Like, how'd you hear it? Especially when they be talking about they don't even be knowing the beats. They just come in, in the studio with this bullshit. Like, bro, how did you think that was a star? What the <laughs> hell was y'all listening to? Because I don't hear it, Jack. But then that shit hit, and he be like, okay. Dog, <laughs> I love me some young Dolph. Even though he didn't discover young Dolph, but he worked with him early on. I love mm -hmm. some young Dolph. I love me some uh I like Pushisty. Um but you know, I gotta give him what credit is due, man. And I love Gucci some Gucci like every that, time yeah. he drop. I love his verse. Gucci he said like that, that. I can't that. I can't I can't you know no diss <laughs> to the mother mother people. I can't speak to them like that. But Gucci and them damn amigos, yeah. That was enough. I mean, Walker, I I, I like Walker in his space. I I never got with Thug. I, I, I never got with Thug. I'm just going to leave that alone right now because I don't want to go that slippery slope. Slug is the, you know. But yeah. I, My yeah. son loved Thug. Hey, you know what, Harvey? If you had to rate this book one through 10, I give it an eight. You give it? it was cool. It was a good story. We'll give okay. it an eight. Donovan, what would you rate it? Excuse me. I also give it an eight. It was okay. cool. Teresa? That's funny. It seems like it's an eight all around. It was entertaining. It was a good read. So eight. Well, since last week, Harvey gave Asada a 10. Um, I think this book, without because it's nonfiction and it's somebody's life, actually, since everybody else gave it an 8, and I think that this, it was not a point in this book where it got boring. There was always something <laughs> going on with Gucci Mane in this book. <laughs> We're like, damn, like, how is he going to get out of this one? Damn, you know how he's going to do this. I love the redemption part. We didn't talk about that a lot. Um, how he started detoxing when he got locked up. Um, how he started working out, you know, and the comeback. 
you know, he's, he got so married, <laughs> you know, so I, I'm going to give it an eight and a half. Redemption? Yeah, the redemption. I mean, he had to get right with the streets. You got, I mean, that's the, one thing I have learned is like, okay, we might like Gucci the artist, but the people in the streets that he fucked over, they don't give a shit about that celebrity, right? And so when you do that dirt, you got to, you got to, some redemption got to happen somewhere. You got to pay some people. You got to get right. I don't think you just get to walk around like that shit didn't happen. Well, I think he got he got it right to a certain point because in the book, some that picture was donated to the book by uh, BP, the, his childhood friend that he robbed. So, I mean, I think he he made it right, man. When you come back, the best apology is change. When people can see that you genuinely change and you're not that same person anymore. That's the best apology, and that's the, and that's the best give back. You know you're you're not that other you're not that person that you was twenty years ago. That person is dead. Hmm. So, what's your thoughts, Teresa? I'm 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 just okay. You're a fan. We've decided. Hey, yes, I'm a fan. I give it an eight. Eight and a half. (laughs) (laughs) So who made the best music? Fat Belly Gucci or Fit Gucci? Because Fat Belly Gucci was like that. (laughs) I don't even know. Fat Belly Gucci was... He was on that shit. Billy Gucci made. What I mean, what has he what has he Man, done since he's been He's a clone. Skinny? That ain't even him no more. That clone that he has with um with Drake when he said he's a Give clone. me one of them whatchamacallits. <laughs> oh, it just got me one of them whatchamacallits and mm, I'm going with that Billy Gucci. <laughs> anyway. Thank y'all for listening. Click subscribe. Share with your friends. Give us a five-star rating. Good night.